going on celebrate the words of Torah. We're focused, ready to rabbi Rubenstein. Welcome back to the best podcast of all time. They're rabbis and they're married. Hello, everyone. It is nice to be back with you. It really is. Have you all been doing? I'm doing just fine. I asked the audience the question, not you, actually. Got it. I hope everyone else is doing well, too. There should have been like a five second pause so everyone can answer how their day is. It's true. It's like in Blue's Clues when our daughter watches Blue's Clues. Now she talks back to the television and answers the questions. It's pretty adorable. It's pretty. It's really a new precipice of parenting when your kid starts talking at the television. It is really good to be with you here today. We are joined by our wonderful, wonderful special guests. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Rabbi Becca Walker. Excited to be here. And I'm Rabbi Ariella Rosen. And we're also, they're rabbis, and they're also married. We are rabbis, and we are married. Wow. Really thought for the inaugural podcast of the official name change, They're Rabbis and They're Married from the Living Jewishly podcast, we thought it it might be good to invite another rabbinic couple onto the podcast here and to hear from another one of us. One of us. One of us. There's a song of some sort. Believe it or not, we actually have quite a few rabbinic married couple friends. We do. It's a it's a it's a growing so so how but how are you doing? So I asked the audience how how they're doing. How are you doing? How are you doing, Rabbi Rachel? I'm doing just fine. It's very exciting because we have our friends, Rabbi Becca and Rabbi Ariella here. I was gonna say in the studio with us, which made us sound really cool. In the in, in the Smith Library with us. It's nice to be with you guys in person. It's so exciting that you're here visiting one of you for the very first time in Minnesota. Yeah, I'm enjoying my time in Minnesota. And I would say you could totally call this a studio. There are definitely enough wires for this to be a studio. So we're happy to join you in the studio. Thank you so much. What is your first impression of Minnesota? How do you like it? It's beautiful. It's been a little warm, but... Nope, you can't say anything negative about Minnesota. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) It's Minnesotans don't accept that. Thank you. We love it. Yeah, I'm appreciating the greenery and the lakes and the Mississippi River. And we went to Minnehaha Falls today, and that was beautiful. So I'm, I'm very much enjoying Highly recommend. Five out of five. Wow. Very nice. And Ariella, you have a connection to Minnesota. I do. Yes. My father grew up around here in uh, Golden Valley. And I used to come here all the time in the summer as a kid. And it's been probably about six years since I've been here. And it's just so great to be back. Awesome. Just sort of feel like a kid being here again. Yeah. It's a total nostalgia tour for me. That's why you guys have been eating so much ice cream, huh? (laughs) Yeah. We're not done yet. (laughs) Oh, well, it's so wonderful to have you guys here. Thank you so much for visiting us. It is incredible. And yes, I will allow it is hot here. It's like high 80s right now, which is not very Minnesotan. And the national bird of mosquito is out. So you basically can't be outside for very long without being eaten alive. So it's uh, it's quite something. We're going to the Twins game tonight. Yes, my very first Twins game. I'm very excited. Very exciting at at Target Field. It's going to be great. And Anything else going on? No, I think things are good. We're finally in kind of a more quiet time. I feel like but since Purim, we've been going nonstop from Purim to Passover, end of school, Shavuot. And now it's June. And now we get to breathe a little bit Mm. and dig into the actual daily work of being a rabbi, which we actually love. We did get to dedicate the Ark. 
Yes, that was an incredible thing. We just celebrated Shavuot and we dedicated our new ark in the Lifeman Chapel with the beautiful new ark curtain. And that was really special. It's really, it's really beautiful. And it almost, it's, it's funny. You should look, just come to, you know, come to Minion in general, but come to Minion at least to see the beautiful ARG cover on because it looks very good in video camera. So yeah, it's really nice. And if people missed coming in person to our ARC dedication, uh, we put a little video online that captures some of the amazing spirit of that ARC dedication and soon Actually, now on our YouTube channel is also um, a little bit of Torah teaching about the art curtain that we did on Shavuot. So I invite the everyone of to watch. Aaron YouTube channel, not the TRTM YouTube channel. Yes, we do not have a TRTM YouTube channel. That's, not yet. That's the next step to do a live not video yet. recording of this podcast. Before we take care of the internet together. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I would watch that. <laughs> Appreciate it. We got one. One viewer. <laughs> nope. My, my, your parents, maybe. So. It's true. Anyway, it is good to be here. What is our topic today? What are we talking about? Topic is they're rabbis and they're married. We are doing the topic of the podcast, which is they're rabbis, they're married. What it's like to be a rabbi married to a rabbi. Kind of a little bit about the history of how this sort of happened. Wasn't something that always happened. How did, how did we sort of get here? What is daily life like for us? We're going to try to get into all the peculiarities of being a, a rabbi married couple. Um, and we're also have to say we're excited. We're very excited to also have a queer couple as well to celebrate. They're our friends very much, but also it's nice that it's Pride Month. So it's nice to obviously give voice to that as well. So we're excited to have you two on here. Really, really, really. So are we, are we ready to get started? Yeah, excited Definitely. to be here. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. I thought in terms of the way to like talk, start talking about this, it's, it's just talk about like a little bit about history. Because, you know, obviously this wouldn't have been possible even 30 years ago, 40 years ago, because, well, only men could become rabbis at, at you know, until you're going to have to help me with the dates on this. So I'm sure In you the guys conservative know. movement, 1985 was right. when the first, I believe that was the year of the first ordination of a woman. Oh, yeah. So 19, it's so yeah. crazy. It's the so reform late. movement is 1972. So a few years earlier, but not that much in the. The broad scheme of things. Yeah, still pretty recently. Yeah. In, yeah. The, in the lifetime of most of our listeners. So thank God we were able to achieve that and, and make that happen through a lot of hard fought battles. And then, what, 10 years later, we had the ordination of and, 1520. Oh, I mean, 2006 was when the decision was made to admit openly gay students. And I believe it was 2010, 2011. When first 2011, I think, when the first openly queer students were from the conservative mm -hmm. movement, yes. from the conservative movement, yeah. What that is it's I, recent? I, we're like, I, like I knew some that, of the but first. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow, it's like that's like basically a decade. That's yeah. nothing. Yeah, wow. it's remarkable. I was in rabbinical school when the first students were getting ordained. Wow. Oh my god. Oh my god. Incredible. So we had, I think, these two incredible moments of growth in the rabbinic population. But that also meant that all of a sudden, you know, rabbis could marry other rabbis. And that was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And sort of something I think that, you know, wh why do you guys, well, what do you, wh where does it come from? Besides the fact that now it, it's possible to have multiple genders, multiple sexual orientations in rabbinic school. Where does it, how does this, how did this happen? How do we I all mean, marry each other? Yeah. yeah I, mean, all... I feel like one, especially in rabbinical school, I feel like a lot of couples meet in rabbinical school, even though we didn't. But. I feel like in rabbinical school, typically people are of like their 
quote unquote marriageable age. You know, you're like in your like late 20s and early 30s. You're like looking for love and you have all these people with similar interests. And and I feel like, you know, that's, you know, you get to talk about Judaism together and then, you know, you get married like before you know it. I, I would like love that thing. to be the new advertising for residential school. <laughs> yeah. Looking for love? <laughs> Looking for love? Come to the school. That would have helped me when I worked in admissions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. I, I think another piece is also that being a rabbi or a rabbinical student is such a particular experience that it's almost, it's it's hard to have to explain it to other people. And, and sometimes people react strongly in positive or otherwise ways to, you know, the fact that you're a rabbi or you're a rabbinical student and sort of put their own feelings about about rabbis or about their relationship to Judaism onto that person. And if you're looking for a relationship that's not, you know, rabbi to congregant or person that you're supporting, but somebody that you want to be in equal partnership with, that can feel complicated. And so, you know, a lot of people have figured it out and that's awesome. And also there's something nice about being able to say, I don't have to explain this part of myself to you. Mm. Absolutely. I also wonder how much it's just, maybe this is uh, similar to what Becca was saying, but like I imagine how many medical students get married mm-hmm. when they meet in medical mm-hmm. school and lawyers and like people, I think people who are pursuing professional degrees, whether it's the time of their life or the just happenstance and finding people who share similar interests and values. I wonder if that part of it is just that that's what happens when you're pursuing advanced degrees. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think I remember even even much harder as a woman, it's much harder as queer person as well. So as a straight man, um, which obviously gives me in society, it wasn't, uh, it still wasn't easy to date because you would say to people like, I'm a rabbinic student and people wouldn't, didn't want that life for themselves because being a spouse of a rabbi is a whole entire undertaking in itself, whether you want it to be or not, unfortunately it is. And so there's, there was a lot of people like, oh, you're getting along great. And I tell them I'm a rabbinic student and they'd be like, oh, and then you just would get ghosted. Mm. In your case, it's nice that that the rabbinic spouse also gets paid for the work that they're doing. Yeah. And that's like, and that's definitely something we should talk about is that now, now the rabbinic spouse is, is getting paid, at least in our situation, right? It's not all situations, unfortunately, but. Yeah. I mean, I think that's also part of it is that it's recent that married partners could both officially have the title of rabbi. And it's recent that two rabbis could officially be married, but the relationships between two rabbinic or rabbinic type figures is probably not new. Like even back in the Talmud, right? Rabbi Meir and Bruria. Bruria didn't have the title of rabbi, but she certainly had the scholarship and um, and the wisdom and a little bit of the status in society, certainly not what her male counterpart had. But it, so even though the official, both the official marriage and the official title needed some societal and legal changes, certainly the paradigm of having the two partners who have these similar interests and similar goals and similar vocations is not necessarily new. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about that a little bit when we get into the way this professionally affects us being married to another rabbi in a a little bit. But before we do, I want to step in a little bit into our personal stories, because I think that's so essential to know about our stories um, and and sort of how we how each of us met each other and sort of how that how that went. How did it play into that role? You know, questions I would love to know. Did you think you were going or rabbi, you know, was it a, a big surprise for you? How has that changed things? Um, that kind of thing. So let's start with our our wonderful guests here. Yeah. Okay. So we originally met in college, but we were not friends. But we knew who each other we was. We were not enemies. We were not enemies. Specifically we just, not friends. In a sense, kind of. 
Glad you had to uh, clarify. <laughs> yeah, we were just in different worlds. I was very involved with my sorority back in the day, and she was doing. I played, I played ultimate frisbee. Yeah, yeah. So red flag, not a red flag. I would, I would definitely watch this wow. romantic comedy. This is a great rom com. I'm into this. Worlds torn asunder. You know. Yeah. yeah. So we knew who each other was. Like I knew Ariella's name, and I think at some point we became friends on Facebook. But anyway, so. Then many years later, fast forward to 2018, we found ourselves on a retreat for early career women rabbis in the conservative movement. Okay, so, so niche. There were like 20 (laughs) people there. It was at Isabella Friedman, which is a lovely retreat center in Connecticut. And we should also shout out that one of the faculty members at that retreat was Rabbi Amy Eilberg, who was the first woman ordained in the conservative movement. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool to be around her that retreat and yeah so there we really that's where we say we actually met or we connected and so um, we were on this retreat together and we were just talking and really i don't know hitting it off well i don't know what do you think yeah i think that's accurate we didn't we didn't emerge from that retreat dating but we definitely had an interest in each other and you know we weren't quite sure becca wasn't quite picking up on i think i was being a little bit too subtle about my interest and the fact that i was interested in dating women and particularly interested in her, but we figured it out. But from there, we moved into messaging. I split into other. her DMs, nice. as they say, but it was Facebook like Messenger. millennials. Yeah, right. <laughs> On Facebook Messenger. <laughs> on Facebook, yeah. And then it, it progressed to FaceTiming and talking on the phone, and we spoke all summer. We were in different places on opposite coasts for a few months. And then um, in August, I drove out to Michigan to visit Becca, and we had a five-day first date. Which is like very queer. That's like a thing. It's like a really long first date. <laughs> and, and we, at the end of that, we said, this is, this is something real. And we, we committed and we, you know, been together ever since. Yeah, it's been about five years. Wow. Unbelievable. That's, that's amazing. And we got to go to your wedding, which is, I was going to say, they also had a very fun wedding. Oh man, to. that was fun. That so was to a- clarify, you guys went to different rabbinical schools. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I was at Ziegler, the one in Los Angeles. And I went to JTS, the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York. Sounds familiar. <laughs> you, you might have heard of them. You too. <laughs> might have heard of it. Wonderful. Did you, uh, like, were you, I clearly you were open to dating another rabbi, but yeah. was that something you had when you dreamed of your life? Had you envisioned that you would be married to another rabbi? So, okay. So... Ariella happens to not be the first rabbi or rabbinical student I've dated. Um, she does have a type. I, I guess I have a type. I was just <laughs> waiting to find the right one. Yeah, and I went back and forth. I think there are like pros and cons. And I, I think when like Ariella and I started dating, I'd like resign myself to the fact that like this was my lot in life. And it's like lovely, <laughs> but like I guess this is my destiny. Here I am. <laughs> Another great branding. We should make t-shirts to say rabbinic spouse. This is my lot in life. <laughs> and... Yeah, yeah, and I, I would say I wasn't looking. I definitely wasn't looking to meet somebody at this retreat. I did not expect that to happen at all. And I don't have a history of dating other rabbinical students or rabbis, but it clicked and it made a lot of sense pretty pretty soon on. Wonderful, wonderful. That's great. Our story. I think our listeners have heard a little bit of it, but we. I definitely thought I would never. I I did not want. I I specifically did not want to date another rabbinic student. I did not want to do that because. I thought that career-wise, it would be really difficult to find two rabbi gigs in the same area. That's a, that was a hard thing to do and a hard thing to sort of imagine 10 years ago or so. Now it's getting much easier to imagine, I would say, but like for career-wise. But then 
I would say for me, there are approximately zero people that are surprised that I'm married to a Reb. I think <laughs> starting in high school, people just assumed I would marry a rabbi. They probably thought I would marry a rabbi before they thought I would become a rabbi. So this is pretty, you kind of fulfilled my destiny here. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yes. I remember though when Rabbi Rachel walked into the room, changed everything. It was, it was incredible. And I said the dumbest thing. And I'll never, I'll never <laughs> forget saying which well, is, we actually met for the first time when I came to interview at Ziegler. I did. And I came to interview and... Uh, all the guys were hitting on her and I don't want to be... Not accurate. They were. They were all talking to you and I was like, I don't want to be another one of those people, you know? People were friendly and nice and welcoming all to my right. new community. All right. <laughs> I came okay. to and I was sitting on the couches waiting for them to call me in for my interview and you came over and were really sweet and kind of giving me some advice and talking to me and I... <laughs> called my mom afterwards and said, oh, it was so nice. There was all these really nice people. I met all these great people here. And then after she met you, she said, oh, I see what kind of nice people you met here. There you go. But then you went to Israel for a year. So we spent a year apart. And when you came back, then we quickly got together. Yeah, it's incredible. It's a great miracle that I'm with. So it's nice. I didn't know your story. So that was really sweet to hear. <laughs> that was, that's our story, basically. Yeah. Without some of the awkward parts. Like me calling you pure. Well, you just thing. you just shared that. I've shared it before. Our listeners know. It's true. Marcus called me, told me I looked very pure when uh, was one of our first conversations. And my roommate, who was another rabbinical student at the time, told me never talk to that person again. That was the creepiest <laughs> thing I ever heard. <laughs> I was just trying to say she we love Marcus. To God, yeah, okay? we, yeah, we love you. And sometimes you put your foot in your mouth and that's how it is. <laughs> that was definitely there. It could have, Becca, you could have been there. Though. I probably was. And probably I was like, like, what is Marcus doing? If yeah. you're looking to hook a rabbi, hang out at some Havdalas. <laughs> that's where they all are. Oh. No, it, it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful uh, being married to Rachel, obviously, but 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 specifically from a rabbinic perspective, I think for me, it was the right choice because my mind thinks so much in Torah all the time and I would constantly make Torah references to people and they'd be like, what are you talking about? And I, I feel like I need to say those, be able to say those references and use that language to the person I love that I'm with all the time. I don't know if you guys have a similar thing. Well, I make a lot of really nerdy niche jokes and I can pretty much only make them to Becca, but I know she'll usually laugh. Yes, so. it's true. I appreciate that. And then I'm like, oh, that was terrible. But I always appreciate it. It's really hard to make Becca laugh. So that's really good. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I just feel like, I don't know, just like how we make decisions about a home we want to live in and the family we want to create together. Like so much of that is just rooted so deeply in Judaism that doesn't necessarily need to be with another rabbi. But at least in the conservative movement, there is generally a gap between the conservative laity, the con people who attend conservative congregations and the rabbis in terms of knowledge and observance and just commitment to Jewish life, that it would be like relatively hard to find someone who shares both our kind of secular progressive values and our Jewish traditional values. That's a pretty narrow group of people. Yeah, I, I think that was the problem I kept running into is like I'd find someone who was my level of observance like and wanted to keep observance the same way I did, you know, Shabbos, Kashrut, that kind of thing then was not okay with like female rabbis and not okay with a lot of the other things that, you know, are, are essential to me. And then you'd find one the other way and they wouldn't accept the other thing. So yeah, hundred percent. Anything else in this time? No. Oh. Wow. Uh, we, four rabbis in the room without more to say. Jumped on that. All right. No, I, I, so I think it's definitely the religious family. These, 
there are really great to be able to have those discussions and, and be able to know that we're like both bought in for me. Like we're both bought in on shops. We're both bought in on Kashrut and doing that in a thoughtful way and thinking about it. It's not like one party putting it on the other kind of thing. That's a really nice part. Yeah. And I mean, I think we've alluded to it a little bit, but the kind of rabbinic spouse role, which traditionally has been the woman, the rabbits and the wife who's kind of been tagged along into this life and has all of these responsibilities put upon her by the community, especially for pulpit rabbis. But it's not compensated. It's not acknowledged with any official title. It's not kind of celebrated in the same way that the rabbi, it's kind of the appendage to the rabbi is is a really challenging dynamic that I think is getting better, but it's certainly not fully better in our society today. Um, so the fact that we're both rabbis and at least both have that professional title in our case, we work together and are both equally compensated. But even if that weren't the case, the fact that for you guys, that you both are rabbis and you both have that title and that expertise and that kind of acknowledgement of what who you are and what you bring to the community, I think is really helpful. Yeah, I will say sometimes, because Ariel and I have both been in pulpit situations, we both had a variety of jobs. And sometimes I do feel like I'm in the quote-unquote rabbi role and sometimes in the Revitson role. So currently, Ariel works at a shul that we love in Northampton and Massachusetts. Northampton, Massachusetts, not the UK. Yeah. That's like Western Massachusetts. And there are definitely times like there. Sometimes I'll like volunteer to help with Kiddush or, you know, I like cook for them or doing things like that. And I feel very like, okay, right now I'm in the Revitson role. And then there are other times where, you know, the synagogue will bring me on to teach something. And then I'm like, okay, I'm in the rabbi role. And and there's definitely some fuzzy times where, you know, Becca has a skill set that other people, not a lot of other people have. And then I might be invited to ask her to help out with something. And so then it's fuzzy because it's like, is it because she's married to me or it's, is it because she's another rabbi in the community? And and we, you know, to everyone's credit in our community, when we sort of, when we ask for clarity about that, everyone's very quick to, to rise to the occasion. Yeah, I think we faced, I mean, before we came here, we were in New York and and Marcus was in, uh, was at a synagogue. I was working in a nonprofit and we faced a lot of the same things of the, you know, we I was, it was my community. It's where we lived, it's where I davened, it's where we built our lives. Um, but I wasn't the rabbi of the community. And, and like, I would read Torah a lot. And like, I mean, a lot of lay people read Torah, but I was also reading Torah as the rabbi. It was like this weird, this weird dynamic. It's a lot of Torah. Yeah, constantly, I would, the question would come up of, should you be compensated for reading Torah, for teaching something, for reading a leading retreat or whatever? And it was, you know, yeah. So we ended up saying we like to work together so much that we ended up doing it. So now we're here and it's just nice to be able to sort of apply a lot of the stuff that we knew would work so well, but we kind of felt uncomfortable doing it before because it's like, well, she's not my, you know, Rachel's not the actual rabbi here and she's not going to be compensated for it. So why are we like, we can't, we can't do that. So it's, it's nice to be able to execute a lot of those things. here. Have you guys ever officially worked together in any capacity? Yeah. I mean, not like you, we haven't had a kind of a co-rabbi job, but we've definitely done things together. We've worked on, we've done like some teaching sessions together, which are fun. It's nice to be able to like play off each other. We also, because of some, some COVID tearing through the community, Last Yom Kippur, Becca ended up on the Bima with me and we, you know, we were part of a larger team, but it was really special to lead Yom Kippur services together. Yeah. How did that feel? Did it work really well to like have you guys leading a service together? How did that feel for you? I thought it felt great. I think we worked together really well. So much so that we're going to do it again this year. Uh, check us out. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Hi, holidays. CBI, Northampton, Mass. <laughs> Sorry, 20, Temple of Aaron. We're all going to CBI this 30s. year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, 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 
No, I mean, I feel like that's so true, though. Like the dynamics on the pulpit require such like unspoken communication. You have to really be able to like read each other, feel out each other's vibes about what kind of spontaneity is going to happen next. And like, how, you know, are we, am I going to call this page number? Am I going to like insert a covenant here? Am I going to go into a tune here? And that having that kind of uh, deeper connection that you guys have and that Rabbi Marcus and I, Rabbi Marcus, Marcus and I have. <laughs> Say it, Rabbi Marcus. <laughs> um, I think does help immensely on the pulpit. And I think people respond to it. I mean, you guys shared that your community responded really well to, to seeing you guys on the Vima together. And I think our community, anytime that we're able to do something together, either on the Vima or teaching at Shavuot, I think people do respond really well to that dynamic. I did. I wanted to kind of lean into that. I asked you guys about that yesterday. It's like, it, it's interesting because I think it's something for us where I think in our congregation, people like to see the romance between us. Like we wrote, we, one of our most popular videos is we put a video out about Tubav, about like the Jewish Valentine's Day. And it was like a little bit about our relationship. And, you know, people liked seeing the sort of flirtatious, romantic nature between us. Like, I wonder if it's like the same thing for you guys. Like, do people appreciate that? I think it depends on the community. So um, in Northampton, Massachusetts, there's a lot of queer people around. It's known as like the lesbian capital of the United States. Oh, really? Um, yeah. That. Yeah. I think it's like the highest per capita. So much to look it up, but the highest per capita something. So there's just a lot of uh, queer couples around, which is really nice. So we're kind of not we don't stick out in the community in that way. And so I think people appreciate seeing us together because it's representative of them. And it's always nice to see someone who looks like you up on the Bima, you know, no matter what you look like. We we got a lot of heartfelt appreciation after uh, Yom Kippur last year from some people who were incredibly moved to look up and see rabbis who they felt really just like them. And, you know, I've worked in other communities where people have been supportive and and it's, we're still a curiosity, right? And it, it's great to be where we are right now, where people say, oh, you're here because we need you as our rabbis because we, we want to have people who understand us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there have been communities we've been a part of that haven't reacted so positively to seeing us together, even like in not a flirting, you know, we weren't flirting, but just being together and people just, I don't know, feeling uncomfortable. So it's really nice to be in a community where that's not the case. And I mean, we're not going to like make out. I imagine you don't like make out on the Bima. Only sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of like draw some lines, but uh, it's, yeah. It's, it's, Come to it's, synagogue it's, to see. <laughs> I think that people really pick up on that level of comfort and deep understanding that you articulated already and that it helps. I, there's something special about being invited in to share into, in that with a commu as a community member. When I've been in situations where I've seen a beautiful dynamic in action, it's incredible. Like, I feel like I've been invited into a piece of that relationship in a way that feels really meaningful. My favorite moment was when we first got here. It was one of our first Shabbats on the Bima. And someone came up to me afterwards and they said, oh my goodness, I had no idea you guys were married. And I turned to the person next to me and said, wow, these new rabbis are really familiar with one. And <laughs> <laughs> yes. so someone was reading their emails. <laughs> so certainly people can pick up on kind of the comfort. I think you're yeah. right, the comfort level and the trust in one another. Yeah, lots of comfort. I keep making jokes to Rachel on the Bima, like literally the whole entire time throughout the service. Sometimes I literally have to shush you and send you back to your seat. <laughs> I get sent back to my seat. And, uh, 
<laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'm constantly looking for feedback also while I'm in the middle of service and I'm just like, we're not talking about this right now. We can talk about this later. <laughs> Something to look out for everyone. If you're uh, at services, check out Rabbi Marcus immediately when he finishes a sermon. He's always going to turn to me and say, always, how, how is that? <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always afraid that I said something that I shouldn't have said. And like, you could immediately tell me that I said something dumb. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if I said something dumb, I want you to tell me immediately. Except that we're in the middle of Musaf by that point. <laughs> You can apologize during announcements. Oh, what else is Musaf for? I'll talk about the stupid things that you've said. <laughs> oh, man. Musaf is the debrief system. Exactly. Exactly what it's for. Thank you. Okay. I feel heard. You guys like do any studying together? Do you have a, do you learn together? We don't have a regular learning that we do together, but we do learn together. Occasionally. Yeah. I'd say sometimes, I'd say our most frequent form of learning is sharing Google Docs with one another. Yes. Of, source sheets or learning that we've done previously to help one another out. Nice. And then sometimes, you know, we, we explore it, but. Do you have a shared Safaria group together of sharing oh, source sheets? we don't. We, we each have our own type of formatting that we like yeah. to do outside Ooh. of Safaria. Yeah, I'm usually a, do, a Google Docs source sheet girl. You don't use Safaria. I mean, I use Safaria. We love Safaria.org, but I copy paste onto a Google Doc. You don't need to copy and paste. You can download your Safaria source sheet as a Google Doc and then yeah. just getting a little niche topic here. I think we should spend the rest of our time talking about how we format That's really actually everybody wants to hear about. Do you guys solicit each other for feedback? Like if you're preparing for a class or a sermon or do you guys like solicit feedback from one another? Definitely. I mean, I think absolutely all the time ariel is really good at helping me write things. she's the better writer of the group and so I, this happened like two days ago i was stuck i was trying to write a bulletin article and i was just like this needs two more sentences and ariel helped i me. was the rabbinic ghost writer yeah um, yeah i was like do you want a byline she said no but and then the ai of the relationship the ai <laughs> not so artificial but <laughs> the ri the real intelligence rabbinic, rabbinic intelligence, rabbinic intelligence. Yeah. And I, I help Ariella too. Yeah. Becca always has good hooks for, for how to like creatively start something. I've picked up a lot of her teaching mannerisms. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it just happens. Have you ever, cre- has, has Becca ever created like an Instagram reel for you? I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm, geez, her videos are incredible. All of my friends follow Becca because they know that that's how they can find out what I'm up to. <laughs> <laughs> Becca is a social media mate. That's pretty incredible. Check out her music videos. Those are definitely the, the, the holiday. The holiday music videos are basically a classic at this point. <laughs> this is yeah. B walks with a Z two seven. No, just no. At, this is B walks. I don't know. I haven't made them in a while. Oh, two seven. You want to find them? Wait, are they are they part of a past? In cart, like you're you're done with those, but it's I'm making me feel like done. I just so this is I a made, helpful topic for you. Just no, like, no, no. I made. I used to make music videos around the high holidays, and then I think at a certain point. Um, you know, there were some hard times a few years ago that maybe we all lived through and I kind of got uninspired. Like, I feel like I need to feel a certain like amount of joy and like inspiration to make those. And I wasn't feeling that for a bit. And now I am again. But I also feel like there's just such a saturation in the market now. And everyone has like really good video skills. And mine like didn't keep up with the evolution. So I feel a little self-conscious, but I think I should probably just rip off the Band-Aid and try it. Um, but I haven't yet. So hopefully you'll see a new one for me. Twin Cities is a great place for videos. You heard it here okay. first. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Go to print the print statue or something. Um, 
Anyway, um, so yeah. I mean, I feel like that's part of going back, not to social media, but going back to <laughs> learning Torah together and helping each other out. Like, I feel like that's one of the major benefits that we find of like being an urban couple is like constantly. Like, I don't think I've ever, we, neither of us like rarely have given a sermon that the other one hasn't heard first and given feedback on and helped like push forward. Yeah, but it took a while to discover. Like, I would give Rachel gifts in the beginning and I would give her gifts of swearing, of of Jewish, like Hebrew Jewish books that I love. And I would write these like long love poems in the cover of the Safer because that was what I thought she would like because that's what I like in Judaism. And, and you know, they would just kind of sit on her shelf and she would be like nice about it, but she was like never actually <laughs> looking at it. And then eventually I had to realize like that's not actually how, that's not how we share Torah. That's not our, that that's my medium. Like that's what I like, but that's not, that's not the way Rabbi Rachel works as much. So it kind of took us a while to figure out sort of where we talk Torah and where, how we process like Judaism and Torah together. Yeah. I feel like I'll often come to you and say like, uh, this is what I'm like thinking about. Are there like sources that you can think of that would help like deepen this point? And the opposite for you, you'll be like, these are my like very esoteric sources. Like, is there a way to bring, bring this here. into the world? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and Rabbi Rachel's definitely the writer in our relationship. I basically every piece of writing I just sent to Rabbi Rachel. And, and we saw edits. we saw you live editing this outline <laughs> when we clicked into the Google Doc yeah. for our session right now. It, yeah, I can speak well, thank God, but my writing is not great. So thank God we have partnership is is just so essential. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but like. I also, for me, I love getting to hear, like, I've been giving sermons for six years and you've been listening to them, like, at, at Shul. And I, and then we got here and I get to hear you speak Torah and I love to hear your Torah, but I also love to hear my Torah spoken when you say it. Like, you take up a lot of themes. I don't even know if you realize you're doing it that I've spoken about previously or given sermons about. And they, it's become sort of your Torah as well. And like, our Torahs have, and I've, obviously, I've been very influenced by, by your Torah as well. Um, so it's like really, um, it's, it's been cool. Um, and don't worry. I've also, uh, I've also quoted, uh, Brene Brown as well. So, you know, it's, uh, it's been good, but, but she's a, she's a Rebbe. It's so true. I don't think you get like ownership over the themes just because you'd spoke about them first. Oh, my <laughs> oh, oh, oh I thought yeah, about Shuba and then you thought about Shuba. <laughs> That's my particular ask about Don Shuba. Groundbreaking Shuba. Marcus discovered Shuba. But the problem, the problem also happens the opposite way all the time. Like I have to give. Oh, I, that, oh, I, that I do have to be careful of. I'll yeah. tell him, I'll like read him my sermon for Shabbat morning. We'll like work through it together. It'll be really great. It'll be all ready to go and then he'll come to shul friday night and like my tour is in his head and he'll give my drops <laughs> oh, no. but i didn't even realize it because it's just in my head i'm still thinking about what you're saying yeah well it's it's a very innocent you've, you've stolen my Torah many a time many i'd say three times three times just definitely three times too many yeah. but but <laughs> yes but yeah i have to watch myself with that so it is really easy to do that because I don't know, the way I think about when I'm trying to think of something to teach, I just let ideas just sort of float around for a while in my head. And sometimes I forget where the ideas originally came from. Yeah. That's so true. Something very beautiful about it. So, yeah, I mean, I think that is, that, that's been a really fun part. I mean, we don't have a regular learning that we do. I think we've tried to do that in the past and it never kind of, it never picks up because like life gets in the way and we, we do like Rachel and I have very different styles of Judaism and that's wonderful. And like, I think that's what makes us so dynamic and being able to work together to provide different views of Judaism. But as you guys know, if you've been listening to this podcast, 
we think very differently about Judaism all the time. And that, that's just value added, right? That's just, that's just makes, makes things more beautiful and different opinions together. So I also wanted to talk a little bit about career wise, like how does the conversation go about like where, who's going to like, who is the, the primary rabbi or like the, like who, like, I feel like at every point you're sacrificing for someone else's career. And so how does that conversation sort of work? Is that, do you see it that way? How does those conversations work? I, I will say that I think there was something almost, I found easier about the fact that we were both already rabbis when we, when we got together versus being rabbinical students where we were imagining the career we were going to have because um, I was in the process of moving on to my second job from my first job, which was in a pulpit, and Becca was in Michigan and Hillel, but we were both already in our jobs. And and I at least, we haven't really talked about this, but I had this sort of sense that, you know, it's not all about the job. Right? It's it's okay to make big decisions that, you know, hopefully the work will work out. But I was ready to jump in with Becca because I didn't have the sense of I have to organize everything around the job I I hope to have. And that helped. And so when COVID hit and we were making plans, Becca was already living in Toronto. It was very easy for me to say, great, I'm still coming to Toronto, even though things are sort of upside down across the world right now. Um, and I I found, I was able, I was lucky enough to find work at, at a Hillel in Toronto and and I followed Becca there. And then when we were ready to be elsewhere, I was the one who was able to find this job in Western Massachusetts. And Becca said, great, let's go. So turn taking, I guess. Yeah, I feel like it was helpful. Like Ariella was saying, it was helpful for me to be able to say, okay, when I'm leaving rabbinical school, you know, I was single, I wasn't tied down. And I was like, I want to move wherever the job takes me. And I was able to do that. I moved to Michigan and loved that. And so I feel like I had that opportunity and I was grateful to be able to take that and then realize like, yeah, maybe there's more to it than just okay, only the job. Um, it's more about the job and lifestyle and, and all of these other pieces. And so even though technically we've kind of taken turns, I think it was also, I was very excited to move to Northampton. And so when Ariella got this job, yes, please, let's go there. Um, and so it didn't feel like, I, I don't know, I didn't necessarily feel like I was giving up something, which I feel like in some ways when we talk about like taking turns, it feels like one person has to give up something. I didn't necessarily feel that way about this career move. And if we're faced with a hard decision where, you know, we need to meet the needs of one of us for our jobs, we'll, we'll figure out what that means. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love that it's not like one or the other. That's, that's really beautiful. And yeah, I just think that's true for everybody. It's not all about the job, right? And putting that always first all the time, but your life and your relationship. So I really, I love that. Yeah, I mean, I think that was a big thing for us. Like when you, you were ordained first and you limited your search for jobs to LA, Boston, and New York, places where I could finish rabbinical school because that was like a very specific need. And then once you had your job outside of New York, like I specifically did not, when I finished rabbinical school, did not look for jobs that were like in the city or too far away. Like I specifically took a job that was not necessarily on my career path because it was a better quality of life for for me and for us and and for creating a family together. So I think, but I think for us also, it was just the type of jobs we were looking for. Like you were always going to be looking for a pulpit job, which is just a much more limited, well, at least when we were looking, not as much anymore, <laughs> much more uh, like limited career opportunities, right? Like you 
it's not like you can just move to a city and magically there's a pulpit job available. Um, uh, so I think that's also kind of the dynamic that we were negotiating. I remember we talked a lot about like, I'm going to do this. You're coming here for me and then I'll come the next one I'll make for you. We were, we were kind of doing that conversation a little bit. I basically made a lot of promises and then never actually had sacrifices. So as, as happens, um, I owe you some sacrifices, definitely. Well, I mean, no, we didn't. We never anticipated this opportunity. Right. We never anticipated moving to Minnesota or to working in a pulpit together. That is true. That is the yeah. This is an incredible opportunity that we yeah. And, and look, I just think you never wanted to. You never wanted to be a pulpit rabbi. That wasn't what you what you wanted. Um, so that when this opportunity came along, and we were able to actually do it together, and and it kind of created this whole entire new job opportunity that we could have never imagined. So, yeah. So that's wonderful. Okay. So. I also wanted to, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you guys have actually talked about this before or maybe thought about it. Like the elephant in the room for me with like rabbinic couples is like Chabad. Like Chabad is a, like a rabbinic couple, right? Like they, like they operate, they operate as a rabbinic couple. Like the, the, the woman in, in a Chabad, uh, in a Chabad house teaches a lot of Torah and is a spiritual leader for a lot of people does half the, at least half the organizational work in terms of the organization and everything. And of course she's not called rabbi and she's not called, uh, she's called Rebitson, right. And, but like, it, it feels like that model of like a, of, of two partners who are in love coming together for a single, like a single organization and running it together seems to work really well. I think that's one of the reasons why Chabad is so successful in reaching out to Jews and sort of creating community together is maybe, maybe it's maybe a couple at the, the fulcrum point of a, of an organization, actually a Jewish organization works really well, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think there's also something, sometimes being a rabbi can be lonely work, right? Like we're surrounded by people and we get to be there with people and, and still sometimes like there has to be a certain boundaries in place or just a certain distance. And so I think when being in a couple and doing this work together kind of can help, can help with some of that. Um, to say, okay, like I'm not alone. I'm not this like one person or like kind of this like prophet or right? like trying to do this thing by myself, but um, kind of gets to do that in teamwork together. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't want to go too much into the specifics of Chabad, but I think it's actually one of the rare models where even though the wife is not called rabbi, she's afforded a lot of respect for the work that she's doing. Right, and it does seem like it is actually very much. In partnership, even if the roles are very gendered and how they're broken down. Right, right. Yeah, it seems so. Yeah, it seems to work. I mean, that's why Hillel, I think, off that model created, right? I don't know. You might know, probably know more about this than I do, but like the base model of like, you know, having these bases in the city and being able to have these uh, these relationships together and that being sort of the anchor of, of what it is, right? You know? Yeah, I mean, I think base, right is great there's it's this idea of the couple you know being can we just pause for one second yeah. becca can you explain what base is okay. for our listeners yeah base is um so it used to be a project of hill and now i believe it's a project of moisha house um and it's the idea that you have a rabbi and usually spouse of of some sort um living together and doing jewish programming out of their house so a lot like a chabad and i think one of the things that's unique about base in addition to it being out of a home instead of kind of a shul or a different building center um, is also that the spouse is compensated for their work, which I think, right, there's a lot of places where we talked about earlier the spouse isn't. And so this is kind of saying, okay, actually, we have this formal role. It's not going to be an informal under the table thing. It's, you're going to be giving a formal role and a place of honor within the system. 
Love it. I love that. I, I thought that was a great idea. Very creative. And it seems like they're doing powerful work. You know? Yeah. And I mean, I think both for, as you guys said, the both for the rabbi, that it's like it is a lonely position. And it's also just a lot of like responsibility on your shoulders to kind of be guiding and leading a community on your own. And I think that's one of the things Marcus and I love about being co-rabbis here is it's not on either one of our shoulders. We, we shoulder it together, which is really like helpful and healthy, I think. Um, but also for the community, like as we spoke about earlier, I think people like respond well to to seeing models of healthy partnership. Certainly, that's not the only like rabbinic role model. And certainly unpartnered rabbis can be incredible and, and be incredible leaders in their community. Um, but it is a model that seems to that seems to work, at least in our case and in, in other cases. Yeah, I'll yeah. tell you, I'll tell you, like being those like a senior, like this feels so much better than the senior assistant model. Like at the top, there being a non-hierarchical like structure where it's like actually a relationship at the top, like an equal relationship, right? I think that for me is is kind of very powerful and and and, and I think has eliminated some of the toxicity that sometimes happens in a relationship. Yeah. I also want to say that as new as the phenomenon of rabbis being married to other rabbis is, I think it's an even newer thing to be able to think seriously about being in the same community together, serving in the same Paul Bitter congregation. And so I just want to shout the two of you out for being such great role models for that, because I think you're showing that this is something that that other rabbinic couples could aspire to, and it doesn't actually have to feel that complicated or hard. And and the more examples of it out there that there are that are healthy and exciting and great for for the community that's being served, like that that benefits all of us. Thanks. Yeah, it's funny. We actually like before we started this, we reached out to the rabbinical assembly. We're like you know, interested in putting like an affinity group together of other like rabbi couples who are working in pulpits together because we thought it was going to be really complicated and challenging and we need like a processing group. And then we kind of let it drop because we got here and we're like, oh, it, at least so far for us, it's like not that complicated. <laughs> we don't really need to process it. Like it's like actually just working really smoothly and well and, and cohesively. It feels like it's an extension of our home, right? Like that's and, and that there's something very organic about that, you know, and maybe not mo- not so modern, but like it feels like our in, in actually a very vulnerable way, like our home is extended, right? Like we're, we operate very similarly here as we do at home. So it's, uh, I don't know. And maybe that's why it's so smooth, you know? Yeah. I mean, I would say one challenge we face, I wonder if you guys face it, not officially working together is like putting a limit onto like, because it is kind of an extension of our home, which means our home becomes an extension of our work. Um, like putting a limit, like sometimes it'll be 10 o'clock at night and we're still processing together something that's going on at work. And one of us has to just say to the other, like, all right, we, we need to like, I need a break. We need to just like put on Netflix because I can't, you know, we need, we need to have a, a little, little bit of separation, a little bit of time to decompress and not be continuing the work talk at home. Becca just needs to, you know, constantly reminds me to stop checking my email in the evening and actually be home. Yeah. Ariella works too much. So I try and help her. <laughs> <laughs> but hard. yeah, it is definitely different when we're not in the same jobs because it's easier to say, okay, we're not, we're not in work headspace right now. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I'm also just like, you know, I want to just go through some fun questions uh, together while we have you here. Uh, you know, while while we're all here, I would love to just see how similar we're, we're a little different here. Um, so I'm going to go through some questions uh, and I just want to see what your responses are. So I'm, I'm mixing. I, I, I put some questions in front of you, but I'm going to mix up the order a little bit just for just for fun. Um, what is. What is the most non-rabbinic thing you guys do together? That we do together. That is appropriate for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel like 
it's probably watching reality TV. Oh, yeah. We can't uh, relate to that at all. No, definitely not. We did not. <laughs> That's horrible. Oh, several hours watching reality TV terrible. together. Humanity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we like reality television, too. Yeah, it's great. Which one? And, and I feel like we relate to it in rabbinic ways, so maybe it's not that non-rabbinic Are you being the rabbinic all. and the non-rabbinic? Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> like I don't know, because sometimes you'll see someone and they're having a reaction and I'm like, I want to know like deeper what's going on behind that and like, you know, have a pastoral moment. And obviously you can't with the TV, but Netflix, if you're looking to hire a rabbinic <laughs> advisor for your yeah. reality TV shows, Beck is available. Check me out. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that. We also, I mean, this is not Jewish, not not Jewish. I mean, we just really enjoy getting out and being outside together. And, you know, we take our dog to the dog park multiple times a week. We love hiking. We're traveling around right now and just adventuring and encountering the world. And sometimes it feels like the Jewish and the rabbinic make their way in. And sometimes we're just we're just out there doing the things. Well, you are a rabbi, so you're going to see the world. It's going to probably come in. It is hard to turn it off. I would say TV is definitely like an avenue for us. We can almost never watch Jewish content on television. Like people will say, oh, you have to watch She Soul or you have to watch. We don't watch any. Yeah, same. Diamonds or no. Fauda or yeah, like anything. It's like that Jewish has... matchmaking, of course. Yes, yeah, Jewish yeah. matchmaking oh, we need to watch. But... Incredible. <laughs> that good. is television. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think that that's like a big thing. We, we really put a clear separation on work. We don't even watch like dramas or serious TV shows because so much of our lives and careers is so heavy and so serious and so somber that when we we turn on the tv we kind of sh- shut off that part of our brains a little bit and lean into the reality tv and the comedy yeah it's so it's so important what about okay let's just for fun your favorite jewish book what is your favorite jewish book though the torah no, I don't know. <laughs> like actually the five books of most like, that that, that no, is no i think I don't think I can pick one. We were talking about this earlier. I just, there's so many good Jewish books. I don't know. Is, yeah. But I, I do love, I do love my like halacha books. I love opening up a tour, T-U-R, every now and then, um, Shulchan Aruch. Those are like, I don't know. They feel like comforting sometimes. Like when I find myself studying them and I'm like, oh, yes. I feel like you're back into the world again. Yeah, I, I mean... I don't know if you meant by Jewish book, you meant like fiction or, you know, things that have Could Jewish be. themes, but I, I'm, I have a hard time answering that too, in part because similar to how you, what you were saying about watching TV, that's how I approach a lot of my reading. When I want to read for not thinking about work, I need to not read things that make me start thinking about how I'm going to apply it in my job. Um, but I do, when it comes to text, I, I'm a midrash Midrash person. I really love the the creativity that it inspires, the, you know, asking the question, like, what made you even think to write this, right? Like, how did you even get here? And um, I love the invitation to be part of that, that process of filling in the gaps and writing that fan fiction for the Torah and, and all of this other stuff. It's interesting. Like, is, is that representative of your different Judaisms? Like one being really, Becca being very interested in Halacha and the Torah as her favorite book in you, Midrash, is that representative well, in some way? Halacha and Agadah need to go together. Oh. Ooh. Hey. Should we translate our terms? <laughs> Halacha being Jewish law and Agadah being exegesis and sort of creative um, stories. I'm sure the word exegesis helps a lot of people. I know. <laughs> the Hebrew, that's a good example when the Hebrew is easier. Um, but, you know, the the more sort of imaginative story aspect of, of who we are. 
What about you, Rabbi Rachel? What is your favorite Jewish book? Well, I feel like it's a different question. Like, what is my like current favorite Jewish book versus like what were formative Jewish books? You that, can choose like, whichever question you want. <laughs> I feel like I had some like very formative Jewish books that first like exposed me to different ways of Jewish thinking. Like there, I uh, am like for <laughs> this is so nerdy. <laughs> yes. We're getting the real content. Now. The first like nonfiction Jewish book that like really captivated me was actually Elliot Dorf in high school. I like. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Rabbi Elliot Dorf is an incredible rabbi Adam Ziegler. He has a like three part series on like the Jewish view of medical ethics, the Jewish view of social ethics and the Jewish view of like interpersonal ethics, I think. And it just like it completely captivated me in high school. And that still like holds a special place in my heart. Not that I like open it every week or or resource it a lot but it's just kind of that has that special tug of like the first book that opened my eyes to a different way of jewish thinking right beautiful beautiful Elliot Dorf. i remember you telling me that that's really i was really excited to meet him at rubin uncle school <laughs> <laughs> it was a celebrity sighting yeah, a little <laughs> star shot shock there it is autograph on your books exactly i think i did have him sign my Amazing. books <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, for me, it would be like Ellie Wiesel's Souls on Fire, I think mm. was the original book that set me off. When I discovered my love of Judaism in, in college and specifically of, of Jewish text, it was around uh, Musser books, which are very intense character improvement books. And sometimes they can be like very intensive, like kind of like hand slapping books, you know, like, like, you know, you're bad, you're terrible because you do X, Y and Z. And I would, I became like very harsh about myself. And I remember a rabbi recommended to me in my first year of HUC, recommended to me Souls on Fire. And like all of a sudden the world of Chassidus and mystical Judaism was like, oh, that's what I need. Like that is, that is the remedy for this. And it kind of set me on a whole path of discovery of mystical Judaism. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's sort of where I find my home, which is, which is nice. It's, it's nice to be like, be thankful of that. If, you, if you're really looking for a book that hopefully will set you on fire, Ellie Wiesel, Souls on Fire, great one. Mm. Available on Amazon or anywhere. Some of the sellers. I will say that the other like genre of Jewish books that really kind of captivated me and set me off in uh, like middle school and high school were Jewish like historical fiction books, like The Red Tent and Rashi's Daughters and like oh, that genre yeah. of book really kind of. Um, oh, I read any of it now though. That's so funny. You, I, I, I don't think I would ever catch you reading those books. I as a Driven Leaf is yeah. such a good one. Yeah. Like oh, there's, that, yeah. yeah, there's like that genre of book also really, really captivated me. And I think um, part of it, at least for uh, Red Tent and Rashi's Daughters, is the centering of women in the rabbinic story that you don't necessarily find easily in the original text. I think really like opened my eyes and set me off. Yeah. I also spent, there was a good number of years where I was consuming like everything that Dara Horn wrote, oh, her, so, her yeah. fiction that I just, yeah. Just the way that she layered together all these different themes in such clever ways. Yeah. Highly recommend. Jeez, yeah, we heard Dara yeah. Horn speak at uh, Ramah once. That was so great. So good. Yeah, she's she's really something special. Yeah, there's so much great. There's so much great stuff going on. Other things. Well, before, like, are you, like, again, I don't want to get into, uh, like, you know, I don't have no idea what your plans in, in possibly having children in the future are. You know, that's completely private, of course. But, like, in terms of thinking out, like, the syndrome of rabbi kids, like sometimes rabbi's kids can be great. Sometimes rabbi's kids, like they're, they're having issues. Warning, you're speaking to a rabbi. I kid. know, I know. But <laughs> yeah, why I thought you'd have a conversation right on it, right? Like, <laughs> like sometimes that's a great thing and sometimes that's not such a great thing. And that, that kind of stereotype, like where is that? Have you guys ever done any thinking on that or like? 
Becca said, you can take that one first. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I am a rabbi's kid. My father is a rabbi and the very one who grew up in this area. And I, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, clearly they did something right because I'm not only still interested in Judaism, I'm a rabbi myself. So which that that's that's not the end goal. But the life that I had still left me with a really positive relationship with Judaism. And so I think a lot about you know what worked for me as we look ahead to hopefully having kids ourselves in the next, in the next few years. And some of it was as soon as I was old enough, they made it feel like a choice. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, my, my Both of my parents, you know, they said, you're old enough to stay home by yourself. Do you want to go to Shul today or do you want to stay home? Even when I was younger than that, there's, there's a community Friday night dinner. Would you rather go? Would you rather we do something just us at home? And whenever... You know, by by having the choice, I felt empowered. And sometimes I opted out. And most of the time I opted in because I wanted to have that social experience. And so, yeah, I, I mean, we, we, you know, it's still in the abstract for us, but we, we think a lot about how do we, especially because it's coming from both sides, right? How do we you know, help our kids feel like they're crafting their own path and own relationship with Judaism? How do we make sure that to manage our own feelings if, you know, they choose to do something different than the decisions that we've made. Um, how do we help them feel and experience all the positives of being part of Jewish community and, and active Jewish life and also be able to say, you know, what worked for us doesn't have to work for you in the same way. Yeah, I think also the other piece is just thinking about what are the expectations of a community that like of the community of the rabbi's kids um, and trying to just like be mindful of like having realistic expectations. And I don't know, I feel like Ariela, you're really good at the kiddish schmooze because you've been kiddish schmoozing since you, you were true. like born and bred to kiddish <laughs> schmooze. <laughs> I, I learned how to make small talk with adults at a very Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I think there's like a piece of like being mindful of like, okay, how much, you know, are we exposing our, you know, hopefully our future child to that in a way that again feels like a choice and feels like something that they feel positively about and not like, oh, I have to talk to all these people because my parents are the rabbis. I will say I definitely felt a lot of pressure around being a certain kind of role model and behaving a certain kind of way because you know you just never know who you're going to run into. And I took that very seriously in a way that I've unpacked in therapy since then. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think part of it is also just being able to feel, you know, feel lucky enough to land in community where maybe that, that boundary can feel a little bit different. And that's, that's what we're anticipating and hoping for, for ourselves. That's beautiful. I think for us, that's like so much the choice part. Just to give Hadassah for us that choice, like, you know, and not say that she has to do something because she's the rabbi's kid. And I mean, I think also to say, sometimes we say you have to do something. I mean, she's also three, but like, you know, it's, it's very different when they're three, but like, you have to do something because that's our values, right? That that's that's our family's values. It's not because I'm a rabbi or because we're trying to make you look good toward the congregation, but like because this is our values as a family. Like this is what we all believe together. My hypothesis, at least, is like I don't. I think so many kids get troubled being kids of pastors, rabbis, whatever, because they see like the hypocrisy, like that of their parent preaching something or being a certain way at synagogue. And then they come home and they don't like, they don't live those values at home in the same way. And then, so what is the child going to say? Like, it's not real, right? It's all fake. And then you kind of reject religion and reject the tradition, you know? So I, that, that for me is like on my mind, like all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think it is definitely hard, you know, because 
I think compounds on the fact that we both work together. So like if we're at Kiddish, like people want to talk to us equally and we want to talk to everyone else. You know, like we both are on and yet one of us has to be parenting. So we're like very lucky that when we have grandparents available, like that we rely a lot on grandparents. We do rely a lot on like babysitters and, you know, we like try and make sure that there is often an adult there who is able to like focus their attention on her. Um, But we do find ourselves a lot of time being like, you have to wait, we're working, you have to do this, we're working. Um, And it is a struggle. Yeah. Yeah, One of the first things she said was she would play, she would pick up her toy phone and say, hello, this is Rana Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) Which was very cute, but also like very sad at the same time. (laughs) The Um, hashtag tragically Jewish. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Like she was saying that at two. So it's like, it's, it's something. Um, I've like felt pretty negatively about it sometimes of like, just felt like I haven't been able to give her. And she's had to sit around so many boring meetings in the corner, like, and being just like bored at shul. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want you to, thank God she loves shul right now. She always right, wants to come. At the same time, she loves it and she always wants to come. Right. It's definitely a home right now for her, but I just like in the future, I'm just like, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. It's still so, it's still so young, but I, I think about it all the time. And I think about for me, like, it's like right now also like blessings and like, do I try to get her to say blessings and like she's three years old? Like, is she not going to say it? Like, just all these like questions that are in my head right now. And it was, it was, it was actually though today, it was when you guys came and Hadassah did not want to say hello to you for whatever reason. And I was very embarrassed about that. And, and I felt as a parent, like, I want to educate her to always treat people kindly and like always say hello to someone. It's a Jewish value. It's in Perkeva. Like, it's like, that is essential to me to like always say hello to someone and always and it bothers me that she doesn't do because she does that. She doesn't. She does that with the teachers in school sometimes and everything like that. But on the other hand, I'm like, she's constantly around people she doesn't want to be around necessarily, or she doesn't choose to be around. At least we're constantly saying hello to her, and she's constantly being looked at. So maybe it's okay. Like maybe it's okay to give her that space and to say, you know, it's okay, even though I think that's a little rude. Um, you know, I'm going to give you that space. I'm going to give you that benefit. No reactions to that. I mean, I feel like it's like a whole discussion about what does it mean to be a parent and like relating to your child and like just because your child maybe didn't say hi to us, it doesn't mean that you're rude. It doesn't also, it also doesn't mean that she's rude, right? Like it's, I feel like there's just like, it's like almost like there's so much there. Yeah, you should do another. I don't know if you've done like a parenting podcast, but I feel like that would be a cool thing to do. In our next podcast. <laughs> I feel like we should end on a like lighter. What's, what's your light question? Well, she did. Us? She did say hi to us this morning. Oh, she was so. very excited. Oh, yeah, this yeah. morning. And oh, I'm yeah. glad it was her choice. <laughs> Thank God we waited. Yeah, yeah. That's wonderful. It meant something because we knew it wasn't fake. <laughs> All right. Let's let's end on this one. I it, This is fun for me. I don't know if it's fun for you. What is your most nerdy Jewish disagreement between yourselves? Is that a good fun question? Because <laughs> uh, oh, like, well, it's just like funny that you're like, this is the fun question. <laughs> I have a weird sense of fun. It's like so. people listening at home, like what? people who are listening, rabbis are actually fun too. <laughs> kind of, yeah, so, in our own ways. <laughs> fun for a rabbi, yeah. So any weird Jewish disagreements, or you can answer another question. We were talking about this. It's happened, but we can't think of good examples right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're pretty much in agreement on most things. We also don't don't work together. So, So, yeah, I feel like there's less to disagree on because it's more just about like home practice. I feel like we have pretty 
Well, you have an inability to have your own home practice. You need it to be the same yeah. as what I'm doing. So I you usually just give in to whatever it's my practice is. just what I want to do. It, yeah. Uh, like when we first started dating, I used lights on Shabbat and you did not want to use lights on Shabbat, but you could That's very you hard. You couldn't do That's it. It's very hard. <laughs> you would turn off certain lights or you would do it. And then I would, I was, yeah, I just get, I would get molded into it. I feel like your Shabbat lamp always broke. My Shabbat lamp always broke. And then I was like, and I would try to get you to do it. I would try to get you to turn on the light, which was like wrong. And that was like, not right. So I was just like, you know what? It's all good. We'll have one family practice. It'll be nice. For I can't believe you haven't brought up our Kaddish Shalem disagreements. It's a very... I wonder if anyone in our community has noticed. This is Kharif right here. So just... unlike New York, where people would do their practice and it doesn't matter if the rabbi tells them to sit or stand, they are going to do whatever their practice is. In Minnesota, we have found people are very polite. And if we tell them to stand, they'll stand. If we tell them to sit, they'll sit, even if they have no idea why we're telling them to stand or sit. And that's never what they've done before. They're very, very polite in that way. And we do have a disagreement over whether you need to stand or sit for Kadisha Lep. Well, I mean, there and is so a disagreement in the text, so but, it makes sense. But whichever one of us happens to be at the mic, at the, at the BIMA at that time, we'll just change whatever <laughs> these practices. I've had, many, sure. I've I've had multiple comments be like, do we stand for this prayer or not? I'm like, depends on the rabbi who's up there. <laughs> <laughs> and I keep, I keep trying to say to rabbi, like, we do the Ashkenazi minhag here. We follow the Ashkenazi sidor and all, all of our liturgical choices. For better or worse, by the way. So why don't we do the Ashkenazi Minhag? This is so uh, demonstrative of how we think about Judaism. You're like, this is what the book says, and therefore that's what you do it. And I'm I like, like everything to match we up. We have like okay? an older congregation. We should let people sit more. Why are we forcing uh, them to stand course, up and then course. sit and then stand and then sit? <laughs> why are we enforcing Ashken um, was Ashkenormativity? Thank you. Cool. But like, okay, I'm just too woke. Then yeah. we're gonna say we're gonna mix in. Svard cut and Svardic or Svard customs in there. But like, I just feel like, anyway, this but is I feel great. like the custom of Ziegler, the rabbinical school, I feel like was the, it's however the Kaddish catches you, which is, it catches you sitting. So you're saying I'm not following Ziegler. Minhag. Yeah. So there's other minhag that we can, you wow. know, not just Ashkenazi or Svardi, but sorry, I feel like. <laughs> Oh, how, man. how many listeners do you think we still have left know, at this point? Like, no. conversation. <laughs> hey, man, this is life with I, the rabbis, yeah. okay? You know? I will say it is a question, right? Because it's not clear to stand or sit for all these kaddishes. And, and, so, and, it's, and it's not clear because it's just not clear. And so that's why you may exactly. be. We're really just doing a Jewish educational moment by disagreeing yeah. publicly. Yeah, it's beautiful. So anyway. So in conclusion, at Temple of Aaron, if you are team Rabbi Rachel, <laughs> sit for conditional. I'm going to lose out of that. Oh, my God. Everyone's going to side with you on that one. Um, like if you want to stand again, that's well, your problem. We will be here this Shabbat and we're going to take notes. We're going to we're going to watch. Yeah, we'll count. Well, we're going to be watching what you guys do. So stand or sit intentionally. <laughs> yeah, it's um OK. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, does anyone want to share one concluding thought in this discussion kind of what you're leaving with today happy pride and go twins <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point yeah. <laughs> no I mean I think how we started of like that this is like momentous there's like no other time in history that the four of us could be sitting in this room in the uh, relationships and careers that we're in. Um, and that's pretty amazing that, that we're able to be here in this moment, in this particular time in history and in Jewish history. It's pretty cool. Yeah, there's something that really feels beautiful about, and 
beautiful and right about like rabbis being married to each other and working together and doing what we do together. It, there feels something very, very, something very special about it. And I think, Ariella, how you started the conversation of like, and to have congregants who have rabbis who look like them and who reflect them and their values. I mean, that's really, I think, good for, good for the Jews. Oh, huge. Yeah. Great to find your soulmate. And, you know, if they happen to be a rabbi, I guess even better. So if anyone's looking to meet their soulmate, head to the Rabbinical Assembly Early Career Women's <laughs> 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 which has only happened once. <laughs> so <laughs> you might be out of luck. But we'll see. Yeah. Reply, I'll reply to Rabbinical. <laughs> yeah. Well, we really, we really thank you for, for coming on our show today and being part of this and just being who you guys are. You're such both such incredible, unique rabbis and just really thank you. Um, just thank you for being here. And uh, just I know that People are going to enjoy you, and uh, we have to come visit you at some point in yeah. Northampton, and that sounds amazing. We'll try to be as good hosts as the two of you are. Oh, we're good hosts. We're great hosts. Yeah. We're having a wow. great time. Oh, okay. This is and this is part of it. That's good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice to be with you, everybody. I just want to also thank our Colleen Deeker and Jeffrey Baldinger for our amazing theme song, like usual, as well as our producer. Jesse Ulrich at Rent9 Productions, who always does an incredible job. You don't know because you didn't see what the sound before you listened. So he does a great job. And um, trust me, be very thankful for Jesse. Be very thankful to Jesse. If you would like to email us um, to comment or to ask us a question, make suggestions, critique us, tell us we're terrible, whatever you want to do. Actually, don't do that. TRTM podcast at gmail.com. That's again, TRTM. They're rabbis and they're married, but it's just TRTM podcast at gmail.com. Always remember to subscribe, review, comment, and share this podcast with all of your friends. It really does help us out and helps us get out there a little bit and get our Torah out. Um, and just thank you for listening. Really, really appreciate it. Enjoy the weather. Enjoy the summer. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Come celebrate the words of Tor